much follow-up on, especially given the short time left in his administration. Ross, thank you very much indeed. That's Ross Feingold, Business Development Director of SafePro Group. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Let's have a final look at the markets for this week in Australia. The SX200 uh, is slipping now down about uh, 0.4%. The Nikkei 225 in Japan off three quarters of a percent. Uh, over in South Korea, that, the Cosby also down about half a percent. And the Hang Seng is going to follow them when it opens, uh, when markets here open in about an hour's time. Probably going to lose about 100 points at the open. In the uh, commodities markets, Brent crude oil is also off about half a percent now, trading at $44.16 a barrel. And gold is down as well, everything off this morning at $1,869 an ounce. Thank you very much for listening this morning. Stay tuned for Back Chats with Hugh Chiverton and Nixie Lamb this morning. I'll be back tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock with Money Talk. Uh, the weather forecast, mainly cloudy, one or two light rain and mist patches in the morning. Sunny periods during the day, maximum temperature of about 29 degrees. The outlook, mainly fine and warm during the day t- tomorrow. Cloudier and windier on Saturday. Slightly cooler in the morning and at night, early to midweek next week. Out at the observatory, the temperature is 24 degrees, 90% relative humidity. Just gone 8.31, here's Pierre Tremblay with the half-hour news. The pharmaceutical companies Pfizer and BioNTech say they'll apply within days for emergency U.S. approval of their new coronavirus vaccine. Other national regulators are expected to start the same process. The announcement follows final trials involving more than 43,000 people that suggested that the jab is 95% effective and safe. Here's the BBC's Fergus Walsh. It is still a bit science by press release. We don't have the full data. We've got to wait for that. But over 94% effective. And what really jumps out at me is they say it worked equally well in people of all ages, races and ethnicities. What we don't know and what nobody can tell us is how long the vaccine will provide protection for. So we'll have to wait. No serious safety concerns. The only major side effects they had in a few people was fatigue and headaches. The Trump campaign is seeking a partial recount of votes in the state of Wisconsin, which President-elect Joe Biden is projected to have won. It's requested a recount in the counties of Milwaukee and Dane hours before a Wednesday deadline. Mr. Trump still refuses to concede the election and continues to make unsubstantiated claims of massive voter fraud. Will Grant reports from Washington, D.C. The Trump campaign has now paid the $3 million required to obtain a partial recount in two counties of Wisconsin, but thus far has chosen not to put up the almost $8 million needed for a statewide recount. President-elect Joe Biden won Wisconsin by a narrow margin of only around 20,000 votes. But the counties in question are both Democratic Party strongholds, and local election officials do not believe that the recount will reverse his overall lead. Furthermore, they are adamant that there is no evidence of the kind of widespread electoral fraud in the state that President Trump has repeatedly been alleging on social media. The head of the U.S. Federal Aviation Administration, Steve Dixon, has signed an order permitting the grounded Boeing 737 MAX to fly again. The aircraft was banned from flying after two crashes in Indonesia and Ethiopia, which killed 346 people. Here's the BBC's Theo Leggett. This is a major milestone for Boeing. The 737 MAX was a flawed aircraft. The crashes occurred because of the failure of a single sensor, which in each case prompted flight control software to put the plane into a catastrophic dive, which the pilots were unable to prevent. US politicians were scathing about decisions taken within the company and by the regulator, the FAA. 
The aircraft, once the best-selling model in Boeing's history, will now be allowed to fly again. But each existing aircraft will first need changes to its software and wiring, while pilots will have to undergo extra training. Next news at nine. Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Hugh Chiverton, your co-host today is Nixie Lamb. Nixie, good morning to you. Good morning. Today we're talking about paying for the Lantau Tomorrow Vision and COVID-19 and taxi drivers. A new public-private partnership has been proposed to finance the controversial project. Investor Wang Singh has proposed a, a partnership model, first by setting up a $100 billion company, 75% owned by Hong Kong residents. All Hong Kongers would be given warrants to buy shares, and the remaining $25 billion would be raised by private fund management from sovereign wealth and international pension funds. And then the company would raise $1 trillion by issuing 5 to 15 year bonds carrying an annual coupon rate of approximately 5% from public markets to achieve a total financing of $1.1 trillion. Uh, Wang said the government only has to provide policy support such as the approval of reclamation rights and support for bonds. This comes a week before the chief executive's policy address on November the 25th. With the absence of almost all opposition lawmakers in the legislature, it's likely the CE will push the project further. The idea which first appeared in her policy address in 2018. So what do you make of this proposal? How could the Lantau Tomorrow Project be funded? Let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. You can email us, backchat at rthk.hk, or call us on 233-88266. And after 9.15, as I say, talking about the growing number of COVID cases involving taxi drivers. Joining us for the discussion, we have uh, this morning Iris Poon, who's a researcher with our Hong Kong Foundation. David Webb, who's uh, ed the editor of uh, Web website.com, a shareholder activist, and uh, David Olson, conservation director with WWF in Hong Kong, and uh, others will be joining us as well in the course of the programme. Uh, Iris Poon, good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks very much indeed for, for joining us. What do you make of this particular proposal? Because I know our Hong Kong Foundation has sort of floated various ways of paying for it. What do you make of this one? Yep, sure. Um, so before I comment on the specific deal, I would just like to accentuate two points on the Land Out Tomorrow uh, development proposal. One is supplying land for public housing. So the scale of Land Out Tomorrow alone is equivalent of four new towns that we're developing right now combined, which are Kutong North, Fanning North, Hongshui Q, Yunlong South, and Dongchong Extension. The public housing supply expected from the project is 180K for public housing alone and that uh, to put it into context our current queue for public housing is 150k so if we were to say we have land out tomorrow completed at this moment we would have already cleared our queue for public housing this is point one uh, land for public housing point two is that i would want people to think about the project in the context of our economy as well as society being hit by COVID-19. And I guess a lot of people are asking from the, uh, from the government to reboot the economy, really, to take the lead to do so. And we all know that at times like this, the government should really start to push forward counter-cyclical, fiscal, expansionary kind of measure. And mass infrastructure project is one of them. So in fact, it's the best time in the years to come to uh, really proceed with the projects. 
So move on to the specific deal that you just mentioned. Uh, I would just like to say uh, two points. So I'm not going to talk about uh, the specific deal structure and so on and so forth. We have an expert here. I would just like to talk about, um, but in general, what, what we think about that deal. So first of all, it's only one of the PPP option that's been floating around. We also have numerous uh, PPP options that have been tried and succeed in Hong Kong and internationally. Just to name a few, selling the seabed to the developer and then they do the reclamation themselves or setting up the statutory organization, the airport authority to do it. And then also we have the BOT model at the bond raising, the MTR R plus me model. What we want to say is that there are uh, inexhaustive PPP option, and none of them seem to be a deal breaker, a showstopper at this moment. And at least to some people, perhaps controversially, some people coming out as a concerned uh, uh, citizen of the society to come out and say that they think their solution is a viable solution. At least it, it, it sounds to me that some people in the society think that the Land Out Tomorrow developer uh, development proposal seems to be viable in business terms. And last but not least, I would like to uh, think that our government tend to be uh, prudent in managing its financials. Uh, just a case in point is our IBOM being overly subscribed. I mean, if people are uh, having doubts on our government's prudent financing management, they wouldn't be confident that the government will be paid its debt and bond interest and all that. So uh, that's all I have on the deal specifically and, and the two key points that I have on mine. Just, just to your first point, you, you talked about counter-cyclical actions. Yeah. Uh, what about counterintuitive? We're running out of money and you'll want to spend a lot more. And in fact, this, this is talking about raising more than a trillion dollars. That's about 50% more than the government uh, estimate of the, the cost of this project. That is just about as much money as we've got. So uh, it, <laughs> it seems yeah. like yeah, okay, this is the very worst also. time to right. spend every penny that we've got. Uh, right. See, th uh, that's exactly what we want people to know more about the topic. See, the, um, the, the stage of the development proposal currently proceeding at the LegCo is that the government simply asking the funding for the preliminary studies. So we're not going to talk about immediately throwing a stone into the sea and reclaim the sea. Instead, we get, we, uh, the government is trying to get the money to get the engineering feasibility study done uh, and assess how it's uh, impacting our environment and what kind of mitigation measures we could have and then eventually maybe we'll talk about uh, town planning and then in money terms how to finance the deal. So we are still at a very, very preliminary stage. We're trying to move on to the fat finding stage. And what we want to say is that we really should start planning about it at, at the moment, and, uh, and as the government has already stated in the document, the um, uh, the uh, the the funding that they're getting for the studies, it's gonna take some forty plus months. So it's not going to be immediately. Well, well, no, implemented. hang on, hang on. Now, we, yeah. we talk, we're talking about how to fund this project, and now you're saying, oh no, we can't talk right. about how to fund this project because right. we've got to do all this study first. Yep, yep. And on uh, the well, are we talking about funding this project or not? 
Right. And on the issue of um, uh, comparing the fiscal reserve with the project, I've heard that argument a lot, but I, I don't think a lot of people have heard the other side of the argument, which is comparing the timing right now to when we started the um, Hong Kong airport uh, um, plan. Actually, at that time, our government's um, uh, financial position is uh, perhaps worse than what we have right now. But eventually, when the airport of, uh, where airport is being completed, it turns out uh, Hong Kong has been seeing tremendous GDP growth and so on and so forth. So I'm trying to say is that uh, let's get the technicality done first. We don't know whether the um, project is feasible technically at this stage yet. And as the government <coughs> has said before, the, the, the whole project cost is not going to be spent in just simply one year. And in every year, we still have our recurrent income, so on and so forth. So um, I've, I, I, I totally agree with what the government said about uh, how to fund the uh, project cost, and it's not a showstopper at this moment. Okay. David Webb, good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. What do you make of this proposal, this particular proposal? Absolute cuckoo. Um, it's, it's like 80 cyber ports in one if you look at the 2,000 hectares that he wants to grab for a single company. Um, that was bad bad enough when 23 hectares of the cyber port went to uh, Richard Lee without any public tender, and it shouldn't be done by a single company. Um, if you're going to do it, and there's a uh, clear, clear debate about that in the first place, but if, you, if you're going to do Lantail tomorrow, first of all, rename it because that's a misleading name. It's out of convenience. It ought to be Lantail 20 years from now. Um, <laughs> bit longer but it's the truth um, sec um, secondly it can be done by a gradual reclamation by the government and um, as the land comes on stream as it does in other landfills in Hong Kong um, it would start to be sold uh, for development um, uh, bringing in proceeds that would fund the relatively small cost of the reclamations compared to the land premiums going forward so it's not actually a cash drain on our reserves either uh, th those who are opposed to it have have, have um, produced the or trumped up i should say which is the, the trump being the verb for misleading um, information um, uh, have trumped up the idea that it will drain our reserves but it won't because if, if you want to do it you'll do it in stages um, uh, I don't think we need to do it, though. Um, if you want to do one thing tomorrow, I'd call it um, uh, Setcong Airfield tomorrow, or SCAT. Um, Setcong Airfield is a redundant airbase used uh, to be uh, um, held by the uh, Royal Air Force uh, for defending Hong Kong against potential attack from the mainland. Now, I don't think Hong Kong is at, at any more at risk of potential attack from the mainland. On the other hand, it can be defended by air bases in, in the mainland very nearby. Um, and so we could uh, close that lovely piece of flat land and start developing it. Um, uh, also, the area around it, the height limit would then be removed and that could be developed. Also, we've just um, finally got back the land that was under option opposite Disneyland, uh, which is over 100 hectares, I believe. Um, and that, if you included Disneyland as well, which is losing money and ought to be shut down, is an enormous piece of land that would be enough to house the sort of people, sort of numbers of people um, that Iris was just talking about. Um, uh, another thing is that um, our existing um, public housing policy in terms of the way we support people who can't afford to rent in the private sector is completely wrong. If they can't afford to rent, give them a voucher to support their rent. 
and then let them shop around in the private sector, um, privatise all of the existing stock and do it per capita so that when um, the children of a public housing household uh, leave home and start, uh, and start applying for their own voucher, that means their parents' voucher goes down and they have to find a smaller place with fewer bedrooms because one of the problems is that although we've been building public rental housing like crazy, um, we're only managing to house about one extra person per household on average because they're spreading out um, as singletons join the waiting list and, and uh, uh, widows stay in um, larger flats and so on. Uh, so the household size has been declining and, and this needs to change. You need to take a much more market-based and incentive-based approach. But isn't the advantage of this from your point of view that this, this is the, the, essentially the private... Uh, sector would pay for this uh, Lantau tomorrow. Surely that you, that's the good for you, isn't it? No, the private sector will pay when it bids in land auctions um, for, for land produced uh, by reclamation in the landfills. The government uh, has always um, um, uh, tendered out the contracts to do the landfills, so the private sector does the reclamation, um, and then it auctions the land once it's stable and not sinking. Um, it auctions out. Well, what the about the shut-in model? What about the city one model? What about you doing things like that? I mean, there are all kinds of deals that are struck private pu uh, public partnerships well, the, in the, Hong Kong. The, cl the cleanest way is simply to, to uh, uh, sell land to the highest bidder with a fixed plot ratio, not prescribe what should be on it. But in, in this case, it would probably be a mixture of offices and housing and shops and so forth. Um, and, and the government needs, again, to stop playing, uh, micromanaging the land supply and, de and designating bits of land for a data centre, the here or a hotel there. Um, let, let the market decide uh, what it's willing to pay for. Uh, the economy will then find the best use for the land. And if later on it needs to be repurposed from an office to a hotel or a residential to a hotel, then the owner of that site or the future owner of that site can, can do so. Um, so um, you, you're, it, it's you're arguing not... for a private uh, involvement. That is how to ensure uh, market-based forces are applied um, to, the, to the situation. But I do think from an ecological and, and uh, environmental point of view, we should first look at all of the redundant lands scattered around Hong Kong. The government ha does have compulsory purchase powers. We'll get, we'll get on to so that on. in a moment. But from a political point of view, you know it's completely impossible for the government to fund a massive reclamation to be bought up for luxury flats by the developers who make up the Our Hong Kong Foundation? Well, they won't, first, first, first of all, they won't be funding it for longer than it takes to, to reclaim the land and then sell it. And then there'll be a huge land premium coming in, which will allow them to finance the next piece of reclamation. That's a rolling thing. I mean, they do it in Chung Kwan Oh, they do it in various places. Um, Not uh, applicable here because the infrastructure is is all or nothing. You've got to have, you've got to build the bridges, you've got to build the the lines. You can't do it bit sure. by bit. You could if it was near shore reclamation. You can add a little bit. You can add well, a little that's... bit. You can add a little bit. You can't do that here because you, that... because of the uh, infrastructure requirements. That there is something to be said for not doing it there then, um, and, and and using existing areas. But the government always has provided the infrastructure, the railways, the drainage, the sewer, the, the water supply, what have you is, is uh, government provided um, and you know wh whether that should be done on brownfield sites in the new territories is a matter of public policy all right well on the environmental issue we we aside we we have the conservation director from wwf david olson as i say mr olson good morning to you good morning i think you, your attitude is basically that we don't need this in the first place is that right uh that's correct reclamation is an archaic way to to treat the ocean and i think the real cost of these pharaonic works needs to be uh, considered the, if you if you fill in the ocean, it, and especially in this uh, very confined area, it's going to alter water currents, create sediment plumes, it'll long damage beaches, navigation, local fisheries. So 
the real cost of this into the future will be very, very high. And those, those need to be accounted for in calculations. We, we stand against reclamation uh, in the future. It's not, a, it's not a modern way to approach balanced sustainable development. Um, you know, I think we've just heard good arguments that there are other alternatives for, uh, for new housing, um, both brownfields and some of the other options that David just mentioned. So that, uh, that argument doesn't, doesn't hold water that we have to have this, this land for new housing units. I think that what needs to be considered is how important um, the, the natural uh, qualities of Lantau and, and uh, that area are for the overall well-being of future generations of people in Hong Kong. Lantau, South Lantau in particular, East Lantau, is a place where people go to recreate for rural settings. It's where there's a lot of nature that people can have good well-being, good quality of life, and to have these kinds of uh, developments in the ocean that will alter the conditions, the environmental quality for not only that area but large areas around it is, is something that the government needs to think is, about. Isn't, isn't about. the argument, though, that this kind of reclamation can actually help with the preservation because there are already uh, development pressures on country parks on the, in the south of Lantau? The government's already got its eye on developing some of those areas and the way to protect them would actually would be to develop in this, this offshore area. I mean, sure, do the yeah. do the do the uh, do the brownfield sites, yes, but that's not yeah, that's I, not sufficient. You need you need they, something they else as well. They shouldn't build in South Lantau. South, South Lantau has very limited lowland areas, and those habitats. South Lantau is pretty natural. It has good, healthy watersheds. It has a lot of coastal habitats that are still productive and thriving, and offering ecotourism and recreation and fishing opportunities for people. And for even to consider putting in large-scale housing units in such a rare habitat within with a rare environment in Hong Kong, that's, it shows that the balance is not being being found. So I think I think the brownfield options, the other options that were discussed, offer plenty of opportunities for additional housing. So that I don't uh, I don't think that argument uh, really should be considered when you look at the whole of Hong Kong. All right, also with us is uh, Roy Tam, Chief Executive of Green Sense. Mr. Tam, good morning to you. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, First of all, your reaction, what do you make of this particular proposal, the uh, uh, popular public-private partnership? Uh, Actually, uh, we don't agree to building an artificial island in the uh, sea because just like the third one way now, you know the demand for airport uh, aircraft is decreasing, but... Uh, now the reclamation has started, so the third runway is still continue to be with. So uh, building an artificial island uh, in Lantau has similar prospect. If one start, it is difficult to stop. Uh, even there may be economic downturn. And I also think upon now that uh, the building pr- uh, the pressure or for the land is mainly due to the population. So I have repeatedly said that even to the, the foundation, I should I tell them if we cannot stop the population growth by limiting the single way permit, uh, even we build many uh, residential area, many buildings, or even uh, at the final day we need to have a country park to build, 
which cannot tolerate so many population coming from mainland. You know, more than one million of people for the last 20 years coming from mainland by single-way permit. So that's why the uh, deep wood problem of Hong Kong housing is the single-way permits. So that's why we should not uh, build an artificial island and instead we should limit the single-way permit. Uh, maybe I should jump in at this point. Uh, on the point of population, I think the key term we're not talking about here is population, but instead we should talk about household. As David, uh, Mr. David Webb has just pointed out uh, correctly, our household has been splitting into smaller and smaller families, and this is general trend across the globe. So. Even today, we don't have the border uh, fully open already. We still have a lot of people living in subdivided flats. And to put it into numbers, our living space is only 170 per capita in Hong Kong. We are 60 percent short from Singapore standard, and we are almost uh, double of uh, half of uh, Shenzhen standard. So what we are trying to argue here is that even without population growth, we still need need to improve our livability. Livability is a big issue in Hong Kong. Sorry, say again, Mr. Tam. I, I want to ask the, uh, the girl, yeah. uh, the woman, Putin. do you agree we should stop the single-way permit first before any reclamation? See, that's the point about the reclamation. Like, um, we've always tried to avoid this kind of hostile duality between, say, for example, Landau and Brownville or Landau versus one-way permit. What we try to argue is that it's not a question of either or on the issue of Brownville, but more like even if do, you do Brownville, you still don't have enough land. And the no, issue no, no, with no, no. Brownville is... There are many Brownville in the countryside. You know, there are so many land in new, new territories. If we can develop the brownfield and stop the single-way permit, that is unnecessary to have any artificial island in the land town. Do you know, do you know what's the, the main problem of the foundation view point of view? Why not, pers- know, why not persuade The foundation them? is representing the developers. Why not persuade the, the, the PLA, uh, the PLA the, the, to, to the, give the, up the main, their sites? I mean, there's, there's large chunks of land, not well, just Set Kong, but there's well, also the firing range at Castle Peak, which could be produced a, a new mid-level style development area. Uh, it's obviously quite uh, uh, mountainous there, but that doesn't stop the uh, civil engineers from, from building mid-levels um, in Castle Peak. There's plenty of areas that, where this can be done. You don't necessarily need to produce more land out of the sea. The only, the only reason the government has chosen this route, or uh, is going to, um, is out of convenience because they own the seabed. They don't own the brownfield sites. They have to negotiate or use their compulsory purchase powers and possibly go to court over that. Um, they don't want to touch the small house policy, uh, which is um, resulting in a proliferation of, of um, um, small houses uh, over large amounts of land. Um, and they don't uh, want to look at other alternatives like asking the PLA to surrender some of their sites. Um, but uh, they right. should. Right. With all due respect, I think uh, that's exactly the problem with the, 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 the debate on land supply in Hong Kong right now. We've been, we've been going through this since we had the big land debate two years ago. I mean, all of the options have been discussed. And at the end, the conclusion, according to the survey, and according to... Is that uh, out of all the long-term and medium-term Hang, hang on, Mr. Tam. Mr. Tam, hang on, hang on, please. Yeah, carry on. Yeah. Uh, hang on, Mr. Tam, please. 
Please, yeah, Karen, I yeah. Out of all the options that have been discussed in the land debate, reclamation outside of Victoria Harbour and developing more new towns in the new territories are the two most popular options among the long term and medium term options that we discussed. And exactly because we are always trying to debate on, on an argument basis right. instead of facts the, the, and evidence. And this is exactly what we want. Uh, the government the is trying to get to. It's the next stage. Okay. to discuss about. Okay, Barry, Roy Tam. Go on, Mr. Um, Tam. I, I want to say that uh, they don't. They just want to have an economic uh, return for developers. You know, the foundation is representing. That's not the true. Developer. That's but not they, true. But they ignore the climate change. You know, yesterday is the hottest day, like summer. Now oh. it's November already. So. There are so many low-lying iron in different areas have, uh, have, have to escape from the original island because the sea level and uh, climate change. But now we are doing the opposite direction from the government. The government want to build an island in the and uh, the middle of the sea. So build a bigger island so, then. Make it make it ten meters taller. Right. It, it uh, is quite, it's quite ridiculous that there are so many low-lying iron want to escape. Then it will be a highlight island. island. And even we need to have billions of dollars. And now Hong Kong has an economic downturn because of the pandemic. So I don't know, I don't know how, deep, how, deep, how deep the sea is there, but I, I would guess that even if you put an extra five metres on the land, it wouldn't be much more above the overall height. For government to build an artificial island at the middle of the sea. So uh, that's why I, I, need, I, I, I want, want, want all of you here to face the reality. Now Hong Kong has an economic downturn. And if uh, Roy, the there is, there is one other factor, which is the, the investment of so many billions of dollars, it is ridiculous. Yeah. What about, okay, well, I'm afraid we're beaten by the clock, so we've got, we've got to say goodbye <laughs> for the moment. We've got a break for the news at, ni- at <laughs> 9 o'clock. Roy Tan, thank you very much indeed for joining us. We will continue the discussion uh, after the news thank at you. 9, Chief Executive of uh, Green Sense. Uh, Ms. Putin, are you able to stay on after 9 o'clock? Yes. Okay. Good. Great. Okay. So we will we will continue. And Xi Wing Ching as well, who's one of the backers of that particular proposal <clears throat> from Centerline, will also be joining us. And we're going to talk later about taxes and COVID. The weather mainly cloudy today. A couple of light rain patches at first. Sunny periods in the afternoon. Temperatures up to about twenty nine degrees today. Twenty five degrees. The latest readings with a relative humidity now of eighty eight percent. Tomorrow, vision likely to uh, come up in the policy address uh, next week. We're still waiting for word on whether there will be a phone-in, by the way, an English-language phone-in uh, with the chief executive or, or somebody else. Last year, you may recall, we spoke to, we had a chance to uh, talk about aspects of the policy address with the chief secretary because the uh, uh, chief executive was too busy. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen this week. We can't. Get, we can't get an answer <laughs> yet, so we'll we'll give you pass it to you as soon as we do. Uh, in the meantime, talking about Lantau tomorrow, uh, we have with us uh, Iris Poon, who's uh, staying on. Thank you very much indeed. Researcher with our Hong Kong Foundation, uh, David Webb, a shareholder uh, activist, editor of website dot com. Uh, 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 David Olson, who's a conservation director with WWF Hong Kong, Worldwide Fund for Nature in Hong Kong. We're also joined now by Shi Wing Ching, founder and chief executive of the Centerline Property Agency. Later, also going to be talking about... Uh, we'll we talk about uh, taxes and uh, COVID. Uh, just before we get to, to uh, Mr Xi, uh, just a question, David Olson. Uh, we've had uh, an email from MT 
who says WWF always state that they do not support reclaiming land from the sea. Question, so what construction method does WWF support for land reclamation? That comes from MT. David Olson? Yeah, well, we don't support reclamation of the sea or, or aquatic uh, bodies of water or wetlands. We, we don't think that is uh, a modern approach to sustainable development anymore. There are other alternatives. Technologies are advancing. It, it comes down to good leadership and good decisions. Uh, reclamation is, is, is not a viable uh, option. What, what other technologies are you referring to? Well, just better improvements in, in housing and uh, perhaps uh, re re reworking current housing approaches. I, I just think that reclamation seems to be an easy, an easy out for many challenges. But in reality, the, the real costs of reclaiming the sea are, are much higher. The loss of ecosystem services, the loss of, of uh, well-being and quality of life for, for current uh, Hong Kongers and future generations. It, when you put a large uh, bunch of sediment in the ocean, you put rocks in the sea, it's going to alter the whole ecosystem, the whole environment in for long into the future. And especially it, it, it is, but it's, but it's, something, it's something that we've, we've always done since the very beginning uh, in Hong Kong. We've always uh, reclaimed land. And we have this simple equation that we, we, we have a, a greater demand for flats. The population uh, uh, is increasing, but also we have this demand for more people living on their own, so more households. And we're very, very squeezed up at the moment. We have, a, we have tiny flats, and we, we would like bigger flats. So right. think, without extra think, land, how do you solve that? I think some of the other uh, participants in the call have you know, clearly shown that there are other alternatives out there for expanding housing. There are lands that are not being used, brownfields, there's other properties that could be better developed. And I think all of that needs to be fully explored and considered rather than altering coastlines and altering seabed. The, the, this, the, the cost, the, the environmental costs alone for, for these kinds of works are so high, and those need to be fully calculated in, in any, um, any assessments. Of, and reclamation of of our of the ocean is going to really change local environments and it's going to reduce the quality of life and environments for all people here so I, I think it really needs to be reconsidered as an option okay uh xi wing ching is with us as i say uh, founder yeah. chief executive of central line mr xi good morning to you Thank you much indeed for joining us. So I think you're one of the supporters of this uh, particular uh, proposal from uh, Wang Singh that we've been focusing on this morning, of the popular public-private partnership. Um, m my impression is that the, 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 the public-private partnership bit of it is a bit of a, uh, a smokescreen, uh, that the important part uh, is... Because that would only raise $100 billion, whereas a trillion... Uh, would come from uh, issuing bonds, which would be, which they're talking about a 5% return, and they're talking about that, that having certain government uh, support. Doesn't this amount to a massive uh, government handout to very rich people who can afford to buy this trillion dollars worth of uh, bonds? Uh, this is a very complicated project. If 
we have choice, uh, we definitely won't choose this one. Oh, it's all too but complicated. You wouldn't understand it, so I won't explain it or try to justify the calculation. Why one trillion? What a round number that is. It ha just happens to be ten, ten times the amount you propose in equity. That's, that's a thousand percent gearing, which no developer would ever get away with. Certainly couldn't borrow at five percent per annum on that. Um, you know, you haven't, you haven't budgeted it at all, have you, really? And you've attached this gimmick of a warrant for every Hong Kong resident just to try and make us all feel better, and your advertising is all about youth and um, affordability and all this nonsense. I mean, just to try to, to soft-pedal the whole thing. I mean, it's... OK, 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 it's right. yeah, OK. Wait, 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 wait. Because, uh, uh, in the past few years, all the endeavour to increase land supply have been defeated uh, by very similar reasons. Environmental destruction, uh, giving opportunity for property tycoon to make more money. Uh, there are still a lot of land in the hand of the government haven't properly been used. Actually, this kind of reason can be applied to all the projects, increasing land supply. Uh, but we definitely need more land supply in Hong Kong because most of our people are living in very small flats uh, uh, compared with the cities uh, with similar productivity as Hong Kong. Uh, their people are living in more better conditions. Okay, let me ask you this. As an estate agent you are, um, don't, don't you think that as people apply for the BNO um, scheme in the UK and leave, that there's going to be more vacancy in Hong Kong, population will start to drop, um, the demographics will shift? With, uh, more people to leave. Uh, we're still living in a, a very poor condition. I think people in Hong Kong uh, justify to live at least double of our uh, space now. Then we need a couple of our present land supply so that we can live in... Well, we could do that if you're willing for housing prices to half because basically prices are determined by the affordability. It's not just a problem of price. It's a problem of availability. No supply. Even the price is gone down. People cannot have a space to live. I'm just saying, theoretically, if you could double the amount of housing stock today... Per, uh, in terms of square feet, which you of course you can't, but we we add about one percent per year to the housing of stock. Course, I, I but if you if you could double it, then because the population only has a certain amount of income, the valuations can, would roughly halve. Um, you can double it by increasing the plot ratio, but by increasing the plot ratio, you also have a lot of objection. That's why I support almost all the projects to increase the land supply. In Chinese, we say let all the shit set sail together so that the objection cannot bring it down. What's, what's wrong with increasing plot ratios? I mean, high-rise developments are quite efficient up to a point, aren't they, in terms of um, having people live in three dimensions and shorter commuting times and closer to transport hubs and so forth? Better than spreading out like Los Angeles where you have to drive miles and miles to get, get, get to see anyone. So I support increase the plot ratio. This will be much faster than recommendation fund three.
Maybe I should jump in at this point. As we have always said before, all the land option other than reclamation is simply increasing the density of building or taking away existing use and instead replace it of the land use that you want to use. So if you really want to have more spacious living environment, reclamation is the way to go for or to make more new towns. Right, but taking away existing use is not necessarily a bad thing when existing use is an airfield, a fire range or a massive golf course for a very small number of privileged people. I mean, well, so, well, where is you know, in the case uh, of Bramfield, where more people are to- uh, discuss on the topic, it has already existing operator and on it, and the exact reason why Bramfield yeah, is so often, difficult. The operators to are often just storing empty containers. They're just leasing out the land. You know, it's open. It's open storage, well, that's or, not or the- it's farmland. Well, that's part of the case, but uh, for the case that we're talking about, the Brownfield Cluster, the A Brownfield Cluster that the government is trying to develop, we've visited all of them, and they have very active logistics or trading or any kind of Brownfield business on them. So in all, we're trying to say that if you want to develop Brownfield, very likely than not, then you're going to meet with the issue of nowhere to replay, uh, to, to relocate this kind of Brownfield operator. And in fact, the lack of decanting space is not just an well, issue for Brownfield, but happens. for inner city okay, and Nixie, for other Nixie? land initiators okay, as well. Nixie, do you want to ask a question? <laughs> no, just like, uh, like there's a lot of argument like uh, for this proposal. So, like, did any of your um, like organisation actually did another like research on what are the most popular proposal for for land like like um, land availability? I mean, for brownfields, I know there's a lot of arguments, mm-hmm. right? And, and on top of that, also, I think uh, when the government came out with proposals, there's also an options for like cargo lands uh, in 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 Kuaichung. And what about that proposal? I think I I joined two out of the sessions, and I think that is also one of the very popular uh, options for a lot of the um, like ordinary citizens. Right. Uh, we've already had another research done on the issue of brownfield, and our opinion is that um, often people just think that the government could use the land resumption ordinance and then it's a done deal, right? But when we look at the issue, in fact, uh, it's not just brownfield. If you're trying to take away existing, uh, land of existing use, uh, you have three key stakeholders. That's difficult to uh, to. Yeah, what about the cargo to. lands and what about other options? Uh, David actually mentioned about like the golf course and, and, and all the other options. I mean, mm-hmm. we are basically focusing on this like land out tomorrow, but this plan is a very vague plan. Yeah, I mean, the Fan, uh, the fan Ling thing, what the government did was almost right. a pre-arranged dance with the Hong Kong Golf Club, where they agreed to, to sliver off um, the smallest and oldest uh, part of the golf course and leave them with two other golf courses up there, about yeah. 100 hectares. But, you know, they, they, they've there's also, okay, there's okay, also okay. Yeah, yeah, sorry. The question oh, yeah. was addressed to our yeah. <laughs> Right. So um, I'm not the government, right? But I, what I try to say is that there is an open misunderstanding that the government has done nothing on developing land. But when we look at the issue really from a research perspective, actually the government is pursuing various land initiatives, including rezoning, including Brownview, including urban squatter. And the issue with our land development is exactly because we're focusing on this kind of micromanaging, this kind of small-scale project, but instead we never really had a had had a, a piece of land that's big enough that could accommodate a, a sort of. Comp-
comprehensive new town kind of development. And the government is always trying to just focusing on housing shortage. And be, exactly because of this, they don't uh, improve enough on the transport infrastructure, on the sewerage infrastructure. And in fact, these are the two very important strategic um, infrastructure when you talk about housing. And that's exactly why some of the land didn't get approved with higher plot ratio. So, so if we are always going into this loop of just trying to solve housing shortage with a small uh, site, with a small site area, it, it, then we never get out of this loop. Yeah, well, we, if, we, we, if we pull back a little bit, mm. um, it might be something wrong with the consultation process or, or consultation suggestion or, or the ways of how the government communicate with the people. That's why everything that they're trying to do was shut down. Like, like they just, just don't trust the government. <laughs> uh, right. I, I guess that's precisely uh, uh, quite a fair point, I may say. And and that's exactly why I think uh, in the public one consultation that, exercise... Yeah, but one aspect of that is surely voice. the... But one aspect of that is surely is the is the the favoritism which is shown to the Our Hong Kong Foundation. Do you remember how the the proposal doubled in size in a proposal yeah. from the Our Hong Kong Foundation, and suddenly Carrie Lam was saying, "Oh yeah, that's how we're going to be doing things." It sounds like yeah. she's from the Our. Maybe, to Nix's point, maybe people would trust the government more if they elected it. Um, <laughs> that, that's the real issue, isn't it? The, the elephant in the room. Um, the, and also to your question about uh, moving the container terminals. Yes, there was a proposal. I can't remember where it came from, but it was to shift um, a built, built new... in one uh, of the options uh, when the government... New a new terminal, yeah, a new set of terminals out in the sea to the west of Lantau, mm -hmm. to, halfway to Macau, and build a bridge uh, to connect it up to the um, uh, system. Um, and then you could redevelop Kwai Ching, which is several hundred hectares. Uh, not a bad idea because they, you know then you could just plug the MTR into that and yeah. and hey presto, uh, so you know that that's one thing. I mean Singapore has relocated or is relocating its ports right now, um, uh, again for similar reasons, and they'll, that'll produce more housing land. Uh, and the and of course, container quite, business is not going well, right? I have a friend who's in the business, and the business is not going out for like 10 years already. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, I think, I think we'll probably always need some, if, not, if only to import our own goods um, and without going mm. passing through the mainland. Um, but it doesn't necessarily need to be that large. Mm. Um, uh, but, um, you know, that's, that's, one, that's one option that hasn't been properly explored. But, the, you know, you've, you've, you've got an unelected government, you've got a rubber stamp legislative council. They can do pretty much what they want now, so let's see what they do. Do you think the situation is going to change now? Like, the, the combination of the legislative council is different now. <laughs> yeah, well, they, they, they now, the government now has no excuse for not getting things done. <laughs> they, can't, <laughs> they can't say that the pandemics are, are filibustering and stopping their great ideas. So let's see what happens. Let's All see right. if the business community actually supports them because the, the business community now has an outsized vote in the council. Okay, here's some, here's some uh, thoughts of uh, listeners. Uh, Peter says the Lantau reclamation project is a case of massively misplaced vision. There is no need to spend vast amounts of money to reclaim land when there are vast amounts of land that is shovel ready. Hong Kong has no absolute shortage of land, just a shortage of will on the part of government to resume existing land use and use it for housing. Thousands of acres of brownfield sites, Sekong Airport, huge area of land adjacent to Changkwano that's being used for sand storage and could house 70 to 80,000 people could start work inside 12 months. Repeat, there is no need to waste our resources on expensive and environmentally questionable massive reclamation. That comes uh, from Peter. 
Andrew K says, I don't know why you keep talking about the Lantau reclamation. I thought everyone is planning to flee Hong Kong, therefore no need for additional housing. I think we touched on that. Uh, CW says, can you ask Centerline why his company's agents continue their legal practice of putting posters advertising property for sale? These appear on lampposts, stuck on buildings and so on. Also, why do agents stand in the road trying to stop cars with their advertising tactics? Uh, housing estate Brett says the last thing we need is more land which will be sold and the money put only to capital works Brembridge, that's a reference to the uh, financial secretary a long time ago uh, Brembridge really screwed up creating the root problem which continues to be ignored that it is only made worse as we pack more and more people in who have to pay the indirect land tax that only goes to feeding the next white elephant as we do the planet ill may he burn in hell forever says uh, housing estate brett um alan says your female guest i think that's the reference to iris poon uh stated that the new lantau reclamation was the most popular option amongst the people of hong kong i don't think she quite said that anyway uh, that is garbage like all public consultations the fix was in they ignored all alternatives they only recognized those who supported their plan Carrie announced the result before the sham was even over. The public-private plan, lacking any details of how it would operate, I can only say that making it a commercial deal will create enormous pressure to maximise return on investment. So yet again, most of the development will be luxury units, inevitably bought for speculation by mainland investors. Or if the economy is down, it'll be a ghost town, like the ghost cities in the mainland. Anna says, a reclaimed island off Lantau is not new. It was part of the Rose Garden project, including the airport and Chiang Mai Bridge. The Brits did not complete the island part, whose main purpose was to provide a second access road to the airport. This need has now been met by the new Tun Mun Tunnel to the airport. In fact, to everyone's surprise, the latest version of Lantau tomorrow no longer even includes a road to the airport. It now stops short, connecting at Sunny Bay, and the proposed island is now vastly more huge than originally envisaged. So it's now looking like tomorrow, Lantau tomorrow is just a huge housing estate linked to Sunny Bay. The influential rural committee in Moi I understand, is not impressed by the road no longer going to the airport, and their support for the project may now be wavering. That's from uh, Anna. And Jay says, in my village, I've seen perfectly good houses destroyed by the government, probably because of illegal building technicalities, but they're houses that could have been rectified by the government. But no, the government pulls them down. Suddenly we have the government allowing people to subdivide their properties into very small housing for sale. This is not what they were built for. It destroys space and quality of life. Lantau is a situation where the government will just bulldoze it through with only token gesture listening that comes uh, from jay thank you very much indeed uh, for those uh, comments and thank you very much indeed to uh, hang on just a couple more comments we can squeeze in uh, perhaps this is from uh, MT, who says, uh, who questioned earlier about the uh, WWF and reclamation. MT says a very naive response from WWF. Coastal reclamation is common worldwide. Surely WWF efforts will be better spent proposing rational suggestions on sustainable development of reclamation areas during the whole process of sea reclamation for coastal cities. And uh, Guy says, what happened to the counter-proposal to be a reclaimed island in Junk Bay? But if it is to be Lantau, then yes, redevelop the whole of Disney and concentrate theme park interest on uh, Ocean Park. That's uh, Guy's take. Thank you very much indeed to our guest this morning, to Iris Poon, researcher with our Hong Kong Foundation, David Webb, editor of website.com, David Olson, a conservation director with WF Hong Kong, and uh, Shi Wing Ching. Mr. Shi is the founder and chief executive of the Centerline Property Agency. Thank you very much indeed for uh, joining us this morning. Quick email from uh, Mary on the subject of the fire tragedy. 
Mary says Debank Chat, if only a fraction of the resources the administration is ploughing into restricting our freedoms and instilling white terror were to be redirected to resolving poor living conditions. As the police clearly have the resources to spend hundreds of hours checking videos and online postings to track down undesirables, there is no excuse for the failure to identify the slumlords who ignore notices and flaunt building safety and other regulations. All property has to be registered. As the former president of the Institution of Fire Engines reminded us on Tuesday's programme, owners are responsible for the activities carried out on their premises. For sure, if someone was to hang a banner from the window, not in line with the current draconian restrictions, the owner of the unit would be arrested in no time and charged with allowing the premises to be used for subversion, sedition or such. But when it comes to enforcing other regulations that would improve safety and the quality of life, it's always excuses, procrastination, pass the buck and a hundred reasons why no action is taken. No wonder there is so much resentment in society. That comes from Mary. Thanks for that. Blackchat at rthk.hk. We wanted to turn to the issue of uh, COVID and uh, taxi drivers. Uh, Finally today, uh, health authorities uh, yesterday uh, reported uh, uh, another uh, local case uh, involved a 76-year-old taxi driver. Uh, uh, This, I think, brings to five so far this month, taxi drivers who have been uh, uh, diagnosed uh, as being, uh, uh, being, I'm sorry, COVID uh, positive for a COVID test. Uh, Hong Wing Tat joins us, chairman of the Hong Kong Taxi Council, uh, and I think uh, David Webb is is staying on as well. Um, Mr Hong, good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks for for joining us. Are you concerned about this? Why is this happening? Well, we're very much concerned about taxi driver contracted the COVID-19, of course. We, um, the, the answer your question, it is um, very difficult to know whether they contracted inside the taxi while they're working or during the lunchtime or during the mealtime um, when they went into a small restaurant. Um, or they contracted it at home. Um, we are still trying to understand each case, where and how did they contract the virus. Now, in the past, we have launched a number of campaigns, I think three campaigns to um, provide drivers with all support. First of all, we have uh, asked a donor to donate and spray the vehicle with the um, anti—I uh, mean antiseptic type of spray, many types. Um, they last for from a month to a year. So many of the taxes, I, I think we have sprayed over 10,000, while we have uh, 18,000 taxes running in town. So majority of taxi already got spray, and then we also provide them with the um, uh, antiseptic uh, liquid for uh, washing hands and even have face masks in the um, first and second stages free of charge with the wipe with them. And then we also ask the drivers to clean the vehicles in, uh, in a number of occasions. One is when they started picking up the vehicle, started their shift, and then if they um, heard the passengers coughing or if they went into hospitals and picked up passengers, they should clean uh, the, the vehicle. 
So we, we have tried many methods to avoid this. And, but is it, it's just a, a series of suggestions for the taxi drivers, right? Like, like, like do they shifts. follow? And then there are also, there are also um, some substitute drivers, especially uh, nowadays when, when we don't have enough drivers. So there are just ad hoc drivers. There are many ad hoc drivers. Um, in recent, uh, I think it's it probably in this month, there's a lot more people applying to drive the taxi. Um, um, what about the, uh, the, the the health check thing, like the COVID um, testing? How often the taxi drivers are doing tests these days? Well, we have um, call upon all drivers to accept all those tests. And then we also agree to the government's call for mandatory testing of COVID on taxi drivers. Oh, you agree to that then? You support that? We agree yeah. to that because it, it, it's both themselves for protecting their own health and also for the passengers. Of course, uh, we in the first, second stage, we call upon drivers who probably think that they have symptoms, say, for example, cough. Uh, itches in the in the throat. They should go and have the test. And now we um, we agree that if um, the government implement mandatory testing, it would give a good uh, uh, sign to the to the. Um, I mean, it, it would be easier for passengers to recognize that everyone has got tests. At the moment, we have uh, put those. Uh, drivers who have proved negative in the test in all apps. If, if passengers call the taxi using any of the prevailing apps, they would show which driver have been tested. Okay, yeah. D- David Webb, want to comment? Yeah, I, I wrote an article about this two days ago on website.com and I'm proposing the compensation, uh, COVID isolation compensation scheme or six. Um, the, the point is this, that for a, for a portion of the population that is self-employed, um, yeah. they have um, uh, no recourse if they get sick and they lose their income. If you are a, a, a stallholder in a wet market, if you're a taxi driver, if you're a daily page construction worker, if you don't come to work and open your um, stall in the wet market, drive your cab or, or go to work, you're not going to get paid. And that's a serious um, disincentive if you have... Um, COVID-like symptoms, um, cough, runny nose, um, sore throat, whatever, um, to to defer going to see a doctor and carry on spreading the virus um, while you retain your income. Only when you get really bad do you go to a hospital. That's what happened yesterday with the latest local case. He worked for six days after he started coughing and finally when he was breathless he went to hospital. Now, I don't blame the taxi driver for that. I blame the incentive system. The government needs to step up and pay people who are either um, tested positive or their close contacts because they too will be isolated and they will lose their incomes if they have any. Um, uh, So an entire household supported by one taxi driver or one wet market operator will be quarantined. Um, and it would cost a tiny amount of money compared to the other schemes we've we've implemented, and and it would shift the incentives so that as soon as well, anyone who's self-employed yeah. felt okay. ill, they would they would yeah, go to hospital. I totally agree with you, David. Because yeah. um, actually, government has paid taxi drivers 
a lump sum of um, either 6,000... Yeah, that's just a welfare scheme for all taxi drivers. I'm saying that only if you test positive and you're facing loss of income. So, yeah, so that you that could... Help. Then, yeah, then, that, then that you will... As, help. Yeah, because then as soon as you start feeling ill, you're not going to carry on spreading it to your next lot of customers. Uh, you're going to go uh, to a doctor and potentially into hospital, or otherwise you'll say, sorry, you've just got the flu, that's great, you go carry on with your work. Um, but at least um, you're not spreading uh, COVID. And um, if you look at the statistics of uh, past cases, we have a disproportionate number of cases in wet markets. We don't get them in supermarkets. Why not? Because if you work for a supermarket on a monthly wage, you can call in sick, get a sick note from a doctor and get uh, sick pay from the supermarket and they'll be happy that you didn't come to work and spread it. So it's an entirely different set of incentives. Okay. Uh, well, they're in agreement there, so that's good. good. Uh, <laughs> that would be a very good suggestion. Okay. I think we'll probably talk to the Secretary for Housing and Transport. Right. Hong Wintao, thank you very much indeed for joining thank us, you. Chairman of the Hong Kong uh, Taxi Council, and many thanks once again. To uh, David Webb, uh, editor of uh, website with 2 bs-site.com. Thank you very much indeed. Nixie, thank you very much. That's it from us. Uh, we'll be back um, tomorrow talking about judicial reform. The weather, mainly cloudy, one or two light rain patches at first, sunny periods during the day, temperatures up to about 29 degrees, 25 degrees now, humidity 87%. The Smart ID Card Replacement Exercise is for me and for you. If you hold the old form of Smart ID Card and were born in 1962 or 63, you must replace your ID card on or before January 30th, 2021. If you were born in 1970 to 72, you must replace your ID card from November 2nd, 2020 to April 30th, 2021. You may bring two family members or friends aged 65 or above and two persons with disabilities to replace ID cards together. Remember to book ahead. 933, the news now with Pierre Tremblay. The Australian Defence Force has published a report into its investigation of elite soldiers serving in Afghanistan, scrutinising 57 incidents over an 11-year period. The report details 23 incidents of alleged unlawful killings of 39 Afghan civilians and prisoners by 25 Special Forces personnel. Patrols are said to have acted without restraint and taken the law into their own hands. General Angus Campbell, the head of the Defence Force, has apologised for any wrongdoing in what were described as deliberate acts. The US Department of Health says two coronavirus vaccines developed by the pharmaceutical companies Pfizer and Moderna may be authorised and ready for distribution across the United States within weeks. The announcement was made by the U.S. Health and Human Services Secretary Alex Azar as the country passed a quarter of a million deaths from coronavirus. New York City is temporarily closing its schools eight weeks after they reopened, fearing that a second wave of coronavirus has arrived. They'll shut from today. Next news at 10. Thanks, Pierre. Yeah.